Lots of prospects got moved at the trade deadline. Let's rank them. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at eBay Motors. A championship team is about each player being a perfect fit, and it's the same with your vehicle. For parts that fit, head to eBay Motors. Look for the green check mark and stay in the game with eBay's guaranteed fit. eBayMotors.com, let's ride. We saw a lot of prospects at the 2023 trade deadline change teams. And if you're looking to figure out who got the most talent at the trade deadline, it's the New York Mets. They had the most to give away as far as the two best players that were moved in Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. Uh, Chicago White Sox came in second as far as quantity of prospects, but who got the best prospects? And I think the best player that moved at the deadline, and there's not a consensus here, Baseball America says one thing, MLB Pipeline says the other, but Kyle Manzardo, the first baseman from going from the Rays to the Guardians in return for Aaron Savali. One for one deal, I'll remind you. There was nothing else in that. There was no money involved. There was no international bonus pool space. It, no compensatory picks. It was just player for player. And Kyle Manzardo, again, this year has been a little bit rough. Statistically, he's been playing through a shoulder injury as well as dealing with some very serious uh, family issues and things like that. But last year, between high A and double A, shows what Kyle Manzardo can do. 327, 426, 617. 22 home runs, 49 extra base hits. 59 walks, 265 strikeouts, and one for two on stolen bases. And despite some of the traditional slash line not looking as good this year, he's batting 238 with 11 home runs. Um, slugging is 42 in AAA Durham with the when he was with the the in AAA Durham when he was part of the Rays system. All the peripherals look really good. So he's due for positive regression. Hard hit rate, 48.3% would be the highest hard hit rate on Cleveland's team. Max exit below this year, 111.9 would be uh, better than Jose Ramirez, 111.6. And I had this stat on Monday. Uh, One of two AAA batters that was in the 80th percentile or better in both zone contact He was 87.2%, 82nd percentile, and in barrel rate, 9.8%, 81st percentile. He doesn't have the traditional massive home run swing that you expect to see from a first baseman, but he has really good power. He has a damage-oriented swing. It's a line drive swing, and he has very good contact ability. Rarely swings out of the strike zone. He can drive the ball to all fields. And we've talked about his defense is pretty good despite being the slowest first baseman in baseball. And so you can tell Cleveland's excited about him because they moved Josh Bell just to open playtime for Kyle Manzardo. I initially was telling some of the folks in our subtext, 
Uh, we were chatting about this after it happened. I initially said, I don't expect to see Kyle Manzardo until, I don't know, maybe a week or two left in the season as they're trying to set up a Rookie of the Year campaign in 2024. I now think it's entirely possible that when he's off the IL, Kyle Manzardo's up this year and he plays this year. The best player that got moved at the deadline for most places. I have seen a couple places that have number two, Luis Angel Acuna going to the Mets from the Rangers as the best player moved at the deadline. That's the younger brother of Ronald Acuna. So now they're going to be in the same division. I'm sure Ronald's excited about that. But 84 games for Luis Angel Acuna with the Frisco Rough Riders in double A. 315, 377, 453. Seven home runs, 34 extra base hits, 37 walks to 76 strikeouts, and 42 of 47 on stolen bases. He is a second baseman through and through. Uh, has really good hands, really good bat speed. And so even when he has a poor swing decision, he's chasing a pitch out of the zone, things like that. His hands, his bat speed so good that he can still usually end up catching up to it and making contact. Uh, I do think, again, he, I think, do think he's going to stay at second base versus playing short simply because of the arm strength. But the speed is an asset. And he did play a little bit of center field in the Rangers organization. Now, a lot of that was because their middle infields locked up for a decade, but uh, it is something where if you need to move him off the dirt, you have that ability. He has the athletic ability to do that. I think ultimately he's a twitchy kind of athlete. The thing for me, I, we don't like to do comps here, but he reminds me a lot of a less. Of a, of a lower-powered version of Aussie Albies. A little bit undersized, but a really good athlete, good speed. He's probably going to run more than Aussie. He's probably going to hit less home runs than Aussie. The only reason I would even make that stylistic comparison is because it's the same division as the Braves, and that is one of Ronald's best friends is Aussie Albies. That's the archetype of Luis Angel Acuna. Probably not going to see him. I would assume we would see him in 2025, given their public comments about 25 to 26 being their next competitive window. I would expect the Mets give him plenty of time to cook in the minors, and we see him around then playing next to Francisco Lindor. My number three, and again, different from some other places, how they ranked them, my number three player moved is Drew Gilbert going from the Astros to the Mets in the Justin Verlander deal. 81 games between... A ball, I'm sorry, 81 games between high A and double A, 274, 363, 458 for Drew Gilbert. 12 home runs, 32 extra base hits, 39 walks to 67 strikeouts, and 10 to 13 on stolen bases. He is a kind of one of those prototypical center field leadoff guys, like a little bit of an, of an older school player, but came out of Tennessee last year. A very good program as far as having advanced hitters when they come out of Tennessee. He has a really good swing as far as making consistent contact from the left-hand side. Everything's at least above average except for maybe power. He's 5'9". Despite that, he has decent power for the size. But really good hand-eye coordination, good arm strength, good speed. The, the defense is at least above average in center field. And I see him being 
probably the second best prospect in New York's system once we re-rate everything right behind Luis Angel Acuna. And they, those guys are probably going to be on a similar timeline, if not Gilbert getting to the bigs earlier than Acuna. But both of them, I just feel it was a really good job of the Mets to get value and get players that can fit into their long-term plans. I don't necessarily love a lot of the Mets' existing outfield prospects, and it feels like Gilbert is definitely a guy who can be your center fielder. By the time you're doing that, your existing center fielder probably has to kick out to left field or something like that. It's a really good get for the Mets. In just a minute, we're going to get through players four through six. If you are a Red Sox, if you are a White Sox fan, you should be very excited for that. We'll do that next, right here on Locked On MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Sleeper. If you want the chance to win more money with less picks, head to Sleeper. You can win up to 100 times your money on just two or more fantasy baseball picks. If you think that tonight, Jose Ramirez of the Guardians is going to hit a home run, if you think that's possible, go on Sleeper. You can swing for the fences with up to a 100 times payout. All you do is choose two or more players that you like, Select more or less on their stat categories, home runs, strikeouts, hits, things like that. You get your picks right, and you can win big. And dynamic payouts are now live on Sleeper. So in short, each player projection has a multiplier attached to it, as opposed to a preset multiplier that's just based on how many players you have in there. So because of that, you can get higher payouts than other apps with less picks. So use promo code locked on and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Now, terms and conditions do apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details, but they're currently operational in over 30 states. So check out Sleeper today. Ranking the prospects moved at the trade deadline here in 2023. The Chicago White Sox, this is your segment. My number four player that was moved at the deadline, I have catcher Edgar Cuero going to the Chicago White Sox. This was the Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez deal. It was Cuero and Kai Bush. Spoiler alert, I don't have him in the top six or seven. But Edgar Cuero, 70 games in AA this year. 246, 386, 332. Three home runs, 16 extra base hits, 55 walks, 253 strikeouts, and one for three on stolen bases. I know that is not a ton of power production, from a catcher, a position where you typically would expect power production. But there's a couple things to keep in mind here. Thing number one is Edgar Cuero was aggressively promoted to double A. He was in single A Inland Empire last year. So 111 games in Inland Empire where he, in 111 games, batted 312, 435, 530 with 17 home runs and 54 extra base hits, just under one every other game. He aggressively skipped high A and went straight to double A. As the Angels are prone to do, they aggressively moved a guy to double A. Thing number two, double A, the double A Southern League, is a pitcher's league, right? The ballparks are big. The ball doesn't fly as well out of these parks because of the dimensions, because the pitching's usually pretty decent, and doubly so this year, you had the tacky baseballs for the first half of the season. So pitchers had an even bigger advantage than they usually do in the Southern League 
because of the baseball. So despite that, him being able to have a slash line of roughly 250, 390, uh, 330 was not the power production you want, but was still good from Edgar Cuero. Now, the other part of this is he's only 20 years old. He's still growing into this power. He has two different swings, one from the left-hand side, one from the right-hand side. He seems to be better at contact with one and power with the other. He's working on developing and improving both of those swings, but the pitch, the, the strike zone discipline is really good. The pitch recognition is really good. The swing decisions are really good. It's just physical development, experience, and getting him into a better uh, and less pitcher-slanted offensive environment than where he is right. Now, defensively, you've got more work to do with Edgar Cuero. He is decently athletic, but it's something where his receiving, his blocking, his throwing, all of that kind of stuff needs to get better. He is a work in progress behind the plate, but the underlying offensive tools mean you feel good about him being an uh, offensive-oriented catcher when he gets to the big leagues. I will point out, he walked more than he struck out in a pitcher-friendly park where everybody struck out more than they have in the past, or a pitcher-friendly league where everybody struck out more than they have in the past. So I like Edgar Cuero going to the White Sox. I have him at number four. Right behind that, I have Nick Nestrini going from the Dodgers to the White Sox in the Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly deal. I think a lot of the other prospect apparatus has Nestrini a little bit lower than five, but 17 starts in double-A Tulsa. Remember that legendary double-A Tulsa rotation we've talked about? Five and three with a 403 ERA, 73 and two-thirds innings. 85 strikeouts, so 10.4 per nine, to 37 walks. 4.5 per nine, eight home runs allowed. Really physical player, big power profile. The issue has been control, and a lot of that is working on the delivery and the mechanics to be smoother. The fastball can sit. 95, 96, he can run it up higher at times when he needs to. He's got a, a slider that he uses. He gets a lot of swing and miss on it. It's probably somewhere between above average and plus, as well as a power curveball and a change. Again, it's just you've got to work on the control. The 37 walks tells you there's some things to work on there, but it's a really good base to start with. I have him higher than the other acquisition, Jake Eater, the lefty, who came from the Marlins and the Jake Berger deal, simply because Eater has missed so much time recently. He had, he used to be like a top 100 guy. He had Tommy John, he fractured his foot this spring, and so he's been like trying to work his way back. He has nine combined starts between single A and double A. So another guy where he skipped high A completely. Two and three with a 4-1-2 ERA, 39 in the third innings, 48 strikeouts, so 11 strikeouts per nine to 21 walks, 4.8 per nine, four home runs allowed. Again, you can kind of see a little bit of issue there with, with control, and that's something when you go back and you look at the stats, his stats were better in double A than they were in single A. Some of this is attributed to getting back into shape and into form after both Tommy John and then the return being delayed 
because of the fractured foot. It's fastball slider is the name of the game for Jake Eater. Fastball sits 93-94, so it has some good right up in the zone. And then the slider is, the slider kind of takes the place of multiple pitches, right? He can manipulate the shape of it. He can manipulate the break of it. And so he can have it be a shorter biting slider. He can make it into like a bigger, sweepier slider. A lot of different things he can do with that. Has a changeup to go along with it. So that's something where gives you a different movement profile from the other pitches. And then, again, he had really good control before the injury. So the thought process is, plus control is in there somewhere. He just has to get back to that form. So I think at the end of the day, when we're looking back at the careers of these guys, Jake Eater has a higher ceiling than Nick Nostrini. But I've got Nostrini higher right now because of the health and the recent performance. That's recency bias. I really shouldn't do that, but that's what we're going with. In just a minute, there's one more kind of top prospect I want to make sure we talk about in this. And then I'm going to give you some sleeper picks, guys that were a little bit lesser rated, but you should watch out for because they could pop. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back to Locked on MLB Prospects. Going over the prospects moved at the trade deadline and ranking all of these guys and where they are. Number seven on the list for me is the other part of the Justin Verlander to the Astros deal, Ryan Clifford. 11th rounder in 2022, so good find, really good there. And a guy, 83 games between A ball and high A this year at age 20. 291, 399, 520. 18 home runs, 34 extra base hits, 46 walks to 89 strikeouts, and 4 of 6 on stolen bases. Now, as a lefty, fantastic raw power, really good. Swing decisions, plate discipline, pitch recognition, that kind of stuff that you need to be successful. But everydayers can say it with me. Your power tool is only as good as your hit tool. I've got questions about how well Ryan Clifford can make contact against premium stuff. He's been right now, obviously, A ball, high A. You have the ability to sit back and make them throw you strikes because not every pitcher at that level can do that. Despite that, he still struck out more than once a game. Definitely a little bit of a question about how well you can get that power into games, but it's very good power, and if you can develop that, which we've seen some good hitters come out of this newer Mets system, like Francisco Alvarez has been looking great this year, Brett Beatty, lots of options here. If you can unlock that power, you have a very promising and talented player. Now, defensively, He's listed as an outfielder slash first baseman. Uh, when he got to high A this year, he was playing more first base than outfield. And ultimately, because of the below average speed, because of some of the reads, routes, reactions, things like that in the outfield, I think he's going to end up as a first baseman. He is also, if I remember correctly, he's also a pretty big boy. And another reason you are very likely to see, see Ryan Clifford as a first baseman versus seeing him as an outfitter. I think he'll probably retain the ability to kick out to a corner outfield if you want to. But Ryan Clifford is 
maybe a little bit delayed off of this, but he is part of the insurance policy for Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso is signed through 2024, and that is it. Supposedly, because of that, they did take a call or two about Pete Alonso at the trade deadline and chose, obviously, not to move him. But Ryan Clifford is part of your contingency plan for if you do not re-sign Pete Alonso. I think he's going to be a first baseman, and again, he's probably going to have plus power at the end of the day. A couple guys that were not in the top five, top six, but I really liked them getting moved, and I'm intrigued about how they could potentially pop. I've got three that we prepped, and, it's cut, and a couple more kind of off vibes as we have time. Second baseman, how you leave, went from Philadelphia to Detroit. 64 games in A ball, 283, 372, 401, five home runs, 18 extra base hits, 29 walks to 53 strikeouts, and 14 to 7 on stolen bases. I don't think there's a ton of power in this frame. He's got a, he's got a decent frame. Maybe you could add it. I don't think ultimately you're going to look at even average power from how you lead, but very advanced hitter at the plate, really quick swing, really fast to the zone, and something where right now uh, the speed's above average, I think. It's probably going to stay above average. It doesn't feel like it's going to fall back to average. And the things you have to work on is you have to work on getting him to elevate the ball a little bit more, make it into a line drive swing versus a ground ball swing. But I like the contact ability. I like the ability to get a ball into the gap and take, take extra bases stretch a single into a double, go first to third on a single, things like that, as well as I think the defense, the hands, the transfer are all going to be good enough to have him be an everyday second baseman. I don't necessarily know if he has the arm to play short. I think it's more so second base. Presents a really interesting uh, dynamic because you have a second baseman who's done very well in Jace Young, and we'll see what happens as far as who makes it to the bigs first, who can cement in that job, and who ends up being an extra guy. Can one of them, can Young move maybe to a different position? How does this work out? We'll see what happens. But now you have some really talented middle infield prospects in that Tiger system between Young, Colt Keith, Hayu Lee, a couple interesting infielders here to go along with first baseman Spencer Torkelson, who's obviously already at the bigs. Marco Vargas of the New York Mets. He was a guy, he moved in the David Robertson deal to Miami. One was one of the breakout players in the complex league this year. 33 games with the Mets before he moved, before he changed organizations. 283, 457 on base, 442 slugging. Two home runs, 14 extra base hits. 38 walks in 33 games. 222 strikeouts, 8 to 10 on stolen bases. A lot of that stuff gets attention. Part of this is, yes, it's rookie ball and the pitching isn't always that great, but really good contact-oriented lefty swing, really good strike zone discipline. Question's going to be, one, defensively, can he stay it short or not? And two, how much power develops in the profile? But he obviously already has very good pitch recognition, very good strike zone discipline, very good swing decisions. And so that's something that you want to keep doing. I actually think MLB Pipeline had him as like the eighth most talented or the eighth best prospect moved to that at the deadline. They had him a lot higher than Baseball America did. Another guy that I had high 
was Zach Showalter. He was another piece of the Jack Flaherty trade between the Cardinals and the Orioles. So he is now part of part of the St. Louis Cardinals. And to me, he probably had the highest ceiling of the pitchers that the Cardinals got, or one of the higher ceilings that the, the, of, of the players the Cardinals got in that deal, although he probably needs the most time. He's only thrown like 30 innings. Fastball looks really good. It has a really low release point, so it, it almost looks like it's rising because it has so much uh, ride and carry up in the zone. Secondaries, not that great. Obviously, very early in his career, so some work to be done there, but very interested in what he can do. 237 ERA in his nine games between rookie ball and A ball, 30 and a third innings. Again, 41 strikeouts, so 12.2 per nine to 14 walks, 4.2 per nine, exactly one home run allowed. Another interesting player, Ryan Bliss, now with the Seattle Mariners, formerly the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, something where undersized player, he's five foot six, was always listed like five foot nine, he's actually five foot six but something where good defense, good speed, good contact ability as far as spraying line drives. He had issues last year because he was trying to hit for power. And it's, bro, it's not going to happen. Stop trying to make it happen. It's not going to happen. Instead, stick with the line drive swing, get the ball in the gaps, take extra bases, play good defense at second base. You're going to get a couple carry out anyway. But like what Ryan Bliss has done, feel like second base is a position in that system where there's nobody who said, this is mine. You're not holding second base for anybody for Seattle. So he has a chance to get up there and take it. And then Khalil Watson is now moved from the Marlins to the Cleveland Guardians. And super toolsy dude. He's still only 20 years old. 16th overall pick in 2021. He's, this is, he is as Highest ceiling and low of a floor as anybody who was moved in this draft. Very much a high-risk player. He's had maturity issues. He had some on-field disciplinary stuff last year. He's had strikeout issues. He's had approach issues. But again, super toolsy. Maybe the move to a new organization and kind of some guys have that gut check when they change organizations that change a scenery trade. Sometimes works. And so if Khalil Watson can put it together at the plate and can put it together from a composure perspective and an approach perspective. He has all of the physical tools to be an absolute stud, and let's see if the Guardians can do that. Fantastic week this week. One more show coming up. There's a good chance we end up doing two mailbags because there's been so many great questions asked that we want to make sure that we get to. If you have one for the show, tons of ways to get them to us. Best way? probably our subtext. Links in the episode description, links in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.